I'm Sarah Tasker. I'm Jen Carrington. And this is Letters from a Hopeful Creative. Hi, Sarah. Hi. We're back. We are back at last. It doesn't it feel like we were just here yesterday, though. It does. It does. But I know to lots of listeners it doesn't because I've heard from people going, <laughs> where are you guys? And then when my podcast, Hashtag Authentic, came out, they were like, but where's Jen? Where is your one with Jen? <laughs> we took a very unexpected summer hiatus that extended into autumn. Yeah, actually, we both needed it. Yeah. Um, and it's. I feel good about it because I think it was us practicing what we preach about kind of putting your mindset and your health first. If anyone's listened to this and currently needs a break from something that you're doing, take it from us that the world doesn't end. No, in fact, I shared this on my podcast. My first post back on Instagram is like one of my most engaged ever. And that was after months and months of not posting. Yeah, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So I hope you guys are happy that we're back. <laughs> <laughs> For this first episode back, we're going to do one of our rapid fire episodes. We've got tons of great questions to dive into together. It's a good way to catch up with everybody and the stuff that's been going on with your businesses too. Uh, do you want to read, Jen? Okay, first question is from Melanie and she asks, is it okay to forget about your original business idea and do something completely new? Yes. I'm like, of course it is. <laughs> I wonder if she's just kind of looking for a bit of permission. Like she must know that this is, of course it's it's okay. Because what was right for you or right for your audience previously might change. I think we tell ourselves these crazy stories that we have to follow through on every little choice we make in life. Yeah. Whereas sometimes the original idea was the stepping stone to get to whatever is true for Melanie right now. And it takes strength to move on. It takes strength to let go of things. And actually I I always watch with interest like you know the big high street companies that have failed to innovate, failed to evolve. Debenhams. <laughs> BHS. <laughs> Um, so many of them and and you can tell like the people were, ch- were scared to change scared to take on the next ideas scared to move with the times and actually that's that's the secret of longevity is to evolve yeah so Melanie go for it don't look back just enjoy it okay this next one is anonymous and they ask how can a service-based business get their first clients Ooh. So I kind of have a theory about this that I wrote, not a theory, an approach that I wrote about in one of my week, recent weekly letters that by the time this goes live, I will put that weekly letter on my blog so I can link to it in the show notes here. And I call it the bridges to your island. Because I think the question, we asked the wrong question. So when someone's out to business, they go, how can I get clients? How can I get clients? Wrong question. Flip it around. How can I make it easy for my clients to find me? Yes. And if you think of it this way, like your business is an island, an island where you're going to do amazing things and you've got amazing work to do. But right now, no one knows you exist, most likely. But the people who you want to work with are paying attention somewhere on the internet, most likely, or in real life, depending on if, whether you're running an online or an offline business. So they're like on other islands nearby. I'm trying to stick with And you analogy. need bridges. And you don't just need one bridge. Okay. So this is the mistake some people make is they go, I'm just going to set up an Instagram account. Yeah. That's nice and all. That's probably not going to be enough for you. Everyone has multiple bridges. And what have I'm, you know, next year I'm entering my sixth year of business. I have discovered over the years what bridges make sense for me. And now and again, they tweak and they change, but it's your job right now to build bridges to make it easy for your clients to find you. And how do you do that? I think there's two key things here. Number one, you make sure you take care of your home first, take care of your island first. Yeah. So when anyone comes to the island, they know who you are, what you're about, who you're here for. Like, Make sure it's neat and tidy and clear. So your beach isn't full of like litter there's not like a dead fish (laughs) and in in business terms you've got a beautiful website you've got copy that makes sense you're sure of what you do it doesn't have to be perfect because your business will evolve but just make sure it's clear when someone comes to the site definitely then your bridges is just 
content marketing. So blog posts, podcasts, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook ads, the list could go on and on and on. It's either marketing or content marketing or advertising. Yeah, and a combination of all three. And you need to kind of build a lot of those bridges because some of them just won't work. Some of them will go to islands that are empty for you and some of them will go to islands that are super busy for you. So yeah, it's it's kind of casting a lot of nets and then you then pay attention to which ones catch the fish. I've mixed the metaphor, I'm sorry. No, it's It's perfect. all very ocean-based. <laughs> um, because because that's all market research that you're doing at the same experimentation. time. experimentation. Yeah, and when you're brand new, you just don't know. You don't know if like the ad in your local paper is going to pay off more than the poster you put up on the local notice board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to try everything and then... Of course, you will get clients along the way. Like that will happen. And stop obsessing about your first client. Obsess about a year from now, having a consistent stream of enough clients to make your business sustainable. People obsess so much about the first client. Yeah. And they forget that this is a big picture situation. And you've just got to make it easy for the right people for you to find you and say hell yes to you. And that takes time. Building a client base from scratch is the hardest part of starting a business. And you do not want an awful first client that you got because you panicked and they just yeah, they yeah. found you in the wrong place and your messaging wasn't clear because that's going to do so much damage to your confidence and to your like to your vision for going forward do you want your first client to be someone who found you through the, all the right channels because you'd really put the time and thought into making it reflect you and your business so that they have an amazing experience and go and tell everybody about you maybe you get an amazing testimonial but also so you feel enthusiastic and excited to keep going right now the real work of your business is to make it easy for people to find you and just stick at it and don't lose heart I've had have you ever seen someone like launch a business and then they don't get a client and then they pivot and they do something new and they pivot and they do something new and this is why like the secret is always staying the course show up show up stay the course and trust that people are out there who want what you offer they just don't know that you exist yet so it's your job to help them know that you exist definitely you've got to play the long game and it takes a lot of courage it takes faith and sometimes that's hard if no one around you's got faith in you you've got to find it in yourself and you've got to not look too closely what everyone else is doing because you'll always be like well they've just sold out and they're doing something slightly differently so maybe I need to do that too no you need to do you and keep doing it until the right people recognize definitely Okay, I've got one here, Jen. Should I publish my coaching program price or not? I am a big, 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 big believer in always having your prices on your website. Me too. Thank goodness you said that. <laughs> Example, my husband, who is a fantastic podcast editor, if we say so ourselves because he does this show. Website is? Sonics.io. I think, husband, when you're editing this, if it's wrong, please don't divorce me. <laughs> it's always in the show notes. Anyway, he came up to me the other day because we work from home together and he went Jen something really interesting happened this month he was like I took my prices off the website and I've got way more inquiries and I went yeah but if any of those inquiries turn into bookings and he went no and I was like <laughs> and I was like and the inquiries that have turned into bookings is because they came through word of mouth or they came through direct referrals what's he doing doing his own business thing when he lives with a business coach <laughs> excuse me <laughs> But it's interesting. I think there will always be exceptions to the rule on this. Sure. But I'm a big believer in having your prices on your website for the following reasons. I'm never going to inquire with someone if I don't know what they charge. It feels really daunting to me because I'm like, it could be so far out of my price range that it's ridiculous I've even asked. And then I'll feel embarrassed to receive the email. Yeah. And especially with something like coaching. I think one of the worst coaching marketing advice out there is kind of around how to like persuade your clients to take the leap into investing in you. Yes. 
That's fucking awful. <laughs> Manipulate your clients is what they're really. Here's the thing. By having your prices on your site, you are giving someone straight away the opportunity to decide for themselves if this is affordable to them or not. Yes. You don't want to get them on a call and then drop a number on them. And that's that's not treating them with the humanity that they deserve. And also you will have way less waste of time emails if your prices are on your website, especially yes. with something like coaching. Absolutely. Ab- I just agree so wholeheartedly. And I'm really... I've read so many comments on Facebook and things where people talk about this and say, actually, as customers, if the price isn't there, they won't even buy. Like they get really annoyed about sales emails that never mention a price or sales pages that don't mention the price until right at the bottom because they want to know, they want all the information right up front. And I think we all deserve that. Like if if you're resorting to sneaky marketing funnels and and tactics to get people to buy your stuff are those people who really genuinely want what you've got to offer. The only reason I can think to not put your price on a sales page, say for a coaching product specifically, is that you are afraid that the price is like going to get in the way of them buying. Whereas the price is the Mm. fact of the investment and they deserve to know what this... I can know when I look at something if it's in my price range or not. You wouldn't go to clothes website and not know how much it costs until you email them like hey how much does this cost and if you're proud of your prices and if you're comfortable in your prices it doesn't matter either way i'm curious for the letter not the letter like the question asker here what is making you think to not put your prices on your website and if that's if that decision is coming from any place of fear or manipulation of the consumer don't make it if, if there's some instinct within you I'm not saying that the people who don't put the price on the website are terrible people. No, for some people, it's a, it's probably a wise decision, but I, I struggle with it personally. It's not something I feel comfortable doing. And I think with coaching especially, let them know how much it costs just so they know if it's for them or not. It's kind of a relationship based on trust. Yeah. You don't want to start from a place of distrust. What do you think about people who hide their prices for fear of the competition, kind of watching and pricing? I know this is like very thumper from Bambi-like here. <laughs> But like, like naive of me, but I'm like, if we make any life choices based on the competition, we're putting our energy in the wrong place. Like, I just can't think of it like that because that just makes me want to run away and hide and not do this. And I think, um, let your business be bigger than any competition could affect. Do you know what I mean? Like, let your mindset in your business be bigger than that. Totally. And I think we've got a question coming up that touches on this a little bit, but like, you don't want to constantly be redefining your offer in relation to the competition. Because even if you didn't put your prices on, they could email you under a false name, get your prices and and try to undercut you. And then what do you do? Do you want to be dropping your prices because they've done that? And then they'll email you again. Like this could just be a never ending spiral. It's better, I think, to always be looking at it from the place of how can I make sure I'm offering really good value for money? How can I make sure what I'm delivering is delighting people for the price point? And then it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Reactive business decisions don't serve the business. They just serve our egos in the moment of making that reactive decision. Yes, Your yes. business needs you to make calm, steady decisions. So yeah, we're all for putting prices on the website. Okay, next one. How on earth do you plan your business around the uncertainties of conception and birth? I think about this a lot when I think about hopefully having children one day. Mm. And my kind of current thought process, if this helps the person listening and anyone else in this zone, is like, you can only do what you can do with the situation you're in. Sure. And it's kind of, I think the question to ask yourself, and I think it's like, but before you start trying, is your business ready for the risk that that could bring with it? Yeah. Is your bed, is your business or your lifestyle ready for you to know one month that, oh, there's a baby coming in nine months? Like it's, I think there's a bit of just knowing that you're ready to put yourself in the season of uncertainty. But what if someone's 
not planned a pregnancy but is now facing the situation then I guess you're in the same universal situation of anyone who's not planned a pregnancy in that you figure it out yeah do you know what I mean like you just you figure it out like like men and women and families have figured it out for like generations upon (laughs) generations like it's not it's the it's a gift it's not the end of the world you will you maybe you'll make some losses maybe you'll have to let some clients go Maybe you won't be able to take as long a maternity leave as you want to. Like, the, I think the biggest sacrifice, the biggest thing we lose going self-employed is losing, like, maternity benefits. If you think of yeah. it, like, of the sick pay and maternity benefits is like, because we don't get a year off paid. Well, hang on. But then in the States, they don't get that anyway. Yes, so. I'm talking UK here because in the UK, most companies will give women anywhere from three to 12 months off yes. for maternity leave outside of the UK I have no idea what that is I know in America it's not very good at all so we're talking from a UK perspective here but I think it's just you plan it however you can plan it you make it work here's what I would do I would make as few commitments as possible as as so you know things that are going to directly impact people promising to show up at a certain place and time Mm. for your clients as few of those as you can financially feasibly schedule in and then Go back to your business and look at other ways you can make money, kind of in your worst case scenario. So, Mm -hmm. okay, baby's crying, I'm stuck in bed. What could I still do? Could I still reply to emails? Could I, you know, I'm imagining it from a service-based business perspective because that's what I am. Like, I could still write emails. I could still do some one-on-one stuff. I could get a babysitter for so many hours a week, call in a friend or a family member so that I could do a couple of calls. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the bare minimum I can do? And is there anything I can add into my business that doesn't already exist that might help things tick over? Um, It's kind of, it's scary because it might require innovation and it might require you to make decisions that then don't pay off because you end up actually having an easier ride of it or things go differently to how you've expected. But as a planner, as a bit of a prepper, not not a prepper, like I'm not hoarding in the basement, but um, I would feel really comfortable. Like I would need a list of these are mm-hmm. all my options. These are all my fallbacks. These are things I'm going to do if this doesn't work out the way I'm hoping it will. Just so that in those 3 a.m. panics, you know, you've got a plan and you know what you're going to do. I think you just hit the nail on the head that you have to be proactive. Yeah. It's not something that you can just sit around and wait to figure it out itself. Yeah. Like you're just going to have to shift things. And I think the other thing is like ask people around you like I think this is where we have to learn from each other you know what I mean like if if you've got a fellow a friend who made it work a year before you just ask them what they did don't say that on you and maybe you have to be okay with your business not looking on the other side of having the baby than it did yeah do you know like things are gonna have to change and there's so many things that we do in our businesses that actually we could pair right back still deliver the same results for people you know whether that's product-based or service-based business but maybe do it less fancily, maybe do it with less of the beautiful packaging that comes with it. Like what can you do that still delivers something of value and then price that accordingly, but making sure that you're reserving as much of yourself as you can for you and for the baby. All of my clients who've had kids, like like young kids while working together have told me that the biggest, like, like a big bonus on the other side of having a baby is that it makes them more productive because yeah. they have less time. They have to be more focused. It's insane how, yeah. It could be a gift. It could make your business more simpler and leaner and more focused than ever. It is a gift in that sense. Yeah. Actually, I think having any sort of limit on your time makes you so much more focused. I just don't think, and this, this probably like is way too personal, but I just don't think that it being complicated to make it work around your business is not a reason, is a reason to not make build the family that you want to build yeah I think it's just one of those things where it's like you figure it out because 
hundreds of women and other families have figured it out before you. Well, and honestly, the uncertainties of childbirth and having a baby are the same uncertainties of life in general. Actually, they're more certain because you at least know around about this time I'm going to be in a hospital. stops cooking at a certain point. (laughs) Around about this time, there's probably going to be a new human that demands me. But actually, like, we could go out and get hit by a bus tomorrow and spend the next six months in traction. And then what's your business going to do? So it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good mental exercise to do for anybody, I reckon. Like, what would you do if you had to do the bare minimum to keep your business ticking over? Knowing that and having a list of kind of avenues you would explore is a useful thought process for everybody, I reckon. Yeah, and good luck. Okay, here's one. Would you write in English if you lived in a small country with a small language? I have some clients like this who are bilingual and there's a lot of like which language do I use and which language do I not use here's always my answer here's always my suggestion to them is like in the future of what you want this business to be what language do you want it to be accessible for where are your clients and what language are they speaking and if it's like a country where it's like a language that only that country speaks and you want the whole world to be able to read your blog well, even then, that's there's so many languages. English, English is just because it's a main language. Isn't like Mandarin. It's not even more. the biggest language no, in like, the world, is it? So it's a complicated one. My feeling is, if you are bilingual, what an amazing, fantastic talent. We're speaking here as two Brits. Like I can just about speak English <laughs> with my Northern accent. <laughs> my second language is sign language, and I'm not that great at it. So. <laughs> How fantastic. It would be a travesty for you not to share that with the world. Mm. I really believe that. And especially if it's a small language, there's probably not an awful lot of resources out there that are making use of your language. You need to fly the flag for it. But you're a business as well, so you want to make sure you're communicating. So I really advocate for both. Do as much as you can. Mm. If you're confident in English as well, do as much as you can in both. Instagram captions, write it in both you know in newsletters you could ask people to sign up and tell you which they would prefer you can have your website fairly easily switch between the Mm. two there's lots of ways of doing it I also think sometimes if English is an additional language and you maybe don't feel as confident in English as you do in your home language sometimes there are natural errors that people make when they're speaking a language as a second language Mm. and people can be quite judgmental of that especially if it's presented without explanation Mm. if you right in both languages people automatically shift they go oh she's bilingual and you're forgiven for any errors Mm. I think that's stupid I don't think we should be judging people Mm. for their language use but it is a very human instinct to do so it also means that if you are someone I'm not suggesting a question asker is but I know that's just something other people worry about they don't feel super confident in maybe writing in English writing in both means that people will understand that you've gone to that extra length to help them consume your content and it builds a really good relationship and gratitude. I think that's great advice. And I think also on the flip side, I my clients who are bilingual, like when English is a second language, the in the fear they feel of getting something wrong, like I can't relate to it obviously because yeah. and I just I think on the flip side, like let's just be patient with people if English isn't Absolutely. their first language. Because like Sarah said, like we live in a big world and it's so beautiful if you have multi- multiple languages that you can speak. We need to see that we need more yeah. diversity. And this is one way that you can really reflect your diverse background and connect with people who share it with you, but also with people who don't. Yeah, there must be something really special if you've got like a rarer language to find it somewhere. Oh my gosh. So my degree was in linguistics. I could talk about this for days. There are languages that are dying out because nobody is writing and speaking them. So yeah, please do. Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's one. A client project ended terribly and my confidence is completely shot. How do I recover? I mean, I think 
You used the perfect word there, recover. And what what takes recovery is a process. I think when I've ever had this experience or when one of my clients has, what I advise you to do is I think the first step is to like get it all out on the table. Mm-hmm. What went, like, and I, don't, I just mean this you personally, because I'm guessing the engagement with the client is over now, but you get out on the table what went wrong, what's what's on you to take responsibility for that you yeah. can learn from what's on you to forgive yourself for because it was, wasn't your responsibility like get that out on the table and then I know for me whenever I've had like a client experience or when one of my clients has that hasn't you know gone the way you wanted it to it leaves energy in you it makes you feel anxious scared down I think there's something about physically shifting that energy out of you whether that's through journaling or moving your body or talking out of a friend, I think the only way to deal with this is to process, like to actually go through the processing, like, like go through the process of yeah. letting it go, but learn from it. And here's my promise to you. It gets easier. It gets easier every time you have an experience that didn't go to plan because you learn how to handle it better. And you learn also how those experiences will teach you more about your business than anything else. Yeah, they're a fantastic learning experience. The trick is to not let this become your story. Yeah. Let Do not let this mean something about your future mm-hmm. experiences with clients because it, it is one isolated incident. And like we know that this is true in every area of our life. Sometimes you get two different people together and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Personalities clash. Or maybe, like Jen said, some, quite often there's things that we can take ownership of and go, you know what, that was my fault. I should have done that differently. I've learned my lesson. This is how I'm going to make sure it's not going to happen again. But usually... There's something on the other side as well. Some people are dicks. So (laughs) don't let this one bad experience completely change your direction for your business. It needs to be a place that you learn from and then move on from and leave behind you. I'm going to give a story that I think kind of highlights how this can come full circle. A few years ago, I worked with this amazing woman, but she was having a hard time in her life at that time. Mm. And she was having a hard time. She had a big dream for her business that she wanted to pursue, but she was really struggling. And we just, we just couldn't connect in some way. And she, and she just like, she didn't want to work together anymore and the the experience ended. And that was a hard process for me. This was about four years ago. A few months ago, I got an email from this amazing woman out of the blue. And she said, she was saying, Jen, I'm really sorry for how I behaved back then. I was in a really tough place and I took it out on you and I wasn't showing up. I wasn't taking any personal responsibility for my experience. I went back and I was like, I'm just so happy that you've gone on whatever journey you need to go on. There's no apology needed here for me, but thank you anyway. And I, it reminded me that when you're working with human beings, you're meeting them at all different stages of their lives. Yeah. And you have to know the difference between what's on me. Like if I mess up, that's on me to take responsibility for and make that right. But if the client is just bringing something to the table that is nothing to do with our work together, I have to not go to sleep with that on my heart. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because if you'd taken that on board as meaning something I about... could have quit. It could have broke me because I think everyone listening to this wants to do good work. We're not just here to like take people's money and run away. <laughs> we want to do good work. And I think I've kept that email as a reminder to just like, you don't know what's going on. Sometimes it's just a bad, I like just, I guess don't let the story they're telling themselves in this moment become your story. Yes. A really helpful thing as well is if there's peers, if you've got business friends that you respect, tell them the truth story. Like get them to read the emails, tell them what you think you've done wrong and get their feedback because it's so helpful for them to go, but this wasn't you and she could have said this differently and to know where your accountability lies and where it doesn't. Because actually I think 
we can be quite good at calling ourselves on our own bullshit and knowing when yeah. it's it's on us. But it's something about hearing someone else go, no, it's okay. Like you've done okay here and you, it's okay for you to let this go. You're not being blind to your own flaws. And you have to forgive yourself for not always being perfect. Do you know what I mean? Like I know how we all hold ourselves to such a high standard and I never want to give my clients anything less than the best I can give them. But now and again, you probably will fall short now and again. Good thing is, is that you can usually make up for it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But like things, you, like we're single person businesses most yeah. of the time. It's not like dealing with a huge company where if if that person's off sick today, someone else is going to deal with a complaint. Exactly. If something falls through the cracks for you, there's no one else to catch it. So everyone has those things in their business where occasionally like you just don't deliver quite as well as you'd hoped something falls through the cracks and it's yeah it's how you handle it afterwards I think that makes and just you have to find a way to let the energy go because your current and future clients don't need you bringing this to the table with them that's a like a blank slate to do amazing work with them and yeah separate the truth from that person's story so you can learn from it but also heal from it because it I think we don't talk enough about how like emotionally traumatizing these experiences can be as a business owner to not so because you don't go into business thinking you're going to get an angry email from an unhappy customer no, or client one day no and actually like one of the blessings of being a slightly bigger business is when you get to outsource a little bit of that because it's right there in your inbox you can be sat watching tv and you hear from an unhappy customer and it's it's just incredibly personal there's not many other people out there I don't think apart from small business owners who are having to deal with that themselves you know like if your mobile phone company screws up the person you speak to does not have a personal investment in trying to make it better so I I keep it in mind now when I write letters of complaint Mm. or emails of complaint to people that actually this isn't personal and I'm not trying to attack you I'm just trying to communicate what's not met my expectations and you know if it's if it's really difficult for you maybe have someone else help you out with it and just remember that it happens to everyone I don't know a single person in business who's not had this happen. And some of them I'm like, but your product is the best thing in the world. A good thing to do is to just go and look on Amazon reviews for books, like your favorite book and read all the terrible, horrible things that people have said about it. And you realize nothing is perfect for everybody. But yeah, keep going because um, you do more good in the world than any time you've disappointed someone. Okay, Carly says, how do you know when and if to rebrand? I mean, I guess there's two reasons to rebrand. Either you want to which is a good enough reason or your business is ready is like in a stage where it would help it thrive to rebrand I think it's more interesting to think about when not to rebrand so do not rebrand as a response to competitors do not rebrand out of boredom or criticism do not rebrand because what you're doing right now isn't working and you think a new branding is going to be the answer because it won't be branding is the packaging it's like the final step of the process the product and your content and who you are and what you do is always going to be the meat of what you do. So if something's going wrong, those are the places you have to start, not the branding. And don't rebrand when you don't have full clarity yet. Oh yeah. On what the rebranding is, because not only will you drive your poor designer crazy, but you'll (laughs) invest time and money into something that won't even be what you want. Like have all the answers ready before you rebrand. It needs to be kind of it has have longevity as well like be a little bit future proof so it can't just be what you need now it needs to be what do you think you're going to need in a year or two at least like I'm someone who I like to pay get an amazing brand and then get as long as possible out of it so yeah yeah and and I think rebranding too frequently is confusing to your audience it makes it a lot harder for people to really stay connected Mm. with you and to feel like they're keeping up with you like you can often feel like you're a bit left behind if every time you go on someone's website you're like 
Oh, they've changed again. Like, what have I missed? Don't rebrand thinking that it's like a silver bullet. Yeah. Don't rebrand for a place of anxiety or fear. Like, rebrand when you've got a vision in your... Rebrand when your brand doesn't feel like home anymore. That's it. Rebrand when you've got a vision in mind of how you can do more of what you want to do in the world with a brand that represents that. Don't rebrand because you're like, no one's hiring me. Oh, I need a pretty new logo because the logo is not the reason why they're not hiring you. (laughs) You just might not have your bridges set up yet. See earlier question. (laughs) I love my branding to like bring me joy. I want it to be something that as soon as I land on my own website, I'm like, oh my gosh, my branding is so lovely. And when that feeling starts to fade, it's a good time for me to start thinking about it. But I feel that feeling for a long, long time with my branding. So, And sometimes if you've had a big expansion in your business, but your brand hasn't caught up with it yet, yeah. that's a sign. Honestly, if the question comes into your head of like, should I rebrand? Ask wise instead. Why do I want to rebrand? What would be the benefit of rebranding? What would I want my rebranding to look like? Follow it down a little bit. What does my branding say right now to my customers? And what else do I want it yeah. to say? And if you need an example of someone who needs to rebrand, go check out my website, <laughs> meanola.co.uk. I'm in the market. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Melias say, how can we improve on our outreach when time is limited? Thank you so much. Outreach. I feel like this is one of these big buzzwords at the moment. It is, isn't it? It's one that you kind of hear and you're like, well, that wasn't on my to-do list. Now I've written outreach down. How do I tick that off? I think the first thing you've got to do is actually break down what you mean by outreach. Because some people use outreach as a term to their audience and some people use outreach as a term for marketing. Oh, PR. Oh, PR. So you've got to first get clear on what the hell that means and then how to make time for it how you make time for anything else you prioritize it you get clear on what it means you get clear on what your goal is and what you're trying to achieve and you schedule actionable tasks to tiny pers- actionable tiny tasks. actionable tasks so not like reach out to 15 magazines it's like find the email for one journalist and send that one email and then the next day keep doing it I think um sometimes I have a client at the moment and I adore her and we kind of made a promise to each other that we're not going to use buzzwords in our call because when we use words like branding or outreach she she says that it puts her in a state of panic so we just talk in like layman's terms like we're just like your website your visuals your because when we use these buzzwords we make it feel like it's something smarter than we can be yeah. And really, it's just showing up for your business. I completely agree. And I think it's really key that actually this question touches on it. How do we do outreach in a short length of time? Feels like it should be another silver bullet. It feels like I should. the answer should be, oh, you do this blog post or you do this thing on Instagram, this magic thing, and then outreach is done. And actually, it is teeny tiny things. And you will get more results from that one email to the journalist you looked up on Twitter than you would get from an Instagram post that you were hoping was an outreach Instagram post. So it's it's kind of shifting your perspective on what the results need to look like mm-hmm. and what the outcomes need to be. Because if all you need to do is get on one podcast and get in front of another audience, that's a really actionable thing. You might just need to send emails and send some Twitter DMs and find that person in different places so that you can get their attention. That is a focus that only needs a little bit of time every day. Never forget that a business is built and run one tiny, actionable, intentional step at a time and you never stop. The minute you stop doing that, I don't mean taking a break, you're allowed to take breaks, please take breaks because they save you and they save your creativity and they save your soul. But the minute that you stop being committed to doing that at whatever pace works best for you, that's when your business stops. It's just tiny steps over and over again. So don't don't be like, I need to do outreach because that just sounds scary and exhausting. Just be like- You never take it off. But what's your, what are you actually trying to achieve? Your answers are in your answer for that. If you're trying to, oh, I would like to have more, reach more people with my message. Okay, well, what people? 
How do you want to reach them? Where are they? How do you want to communicate it? Break it down, make it simple, because outreach is just a word. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, Jen, sorry. This is going to be a total sales pitch for myself right now, but it's <laughs> No, so... get on the show. You can't make sales pitches. <laughs> it's so relevant to what we're talking about. And Jen already knows this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So I'm launching something new that is going to be on sale in November, December. It's going to be starting in January. And it is for this exact purpose, because I really think our audience are they're savvy they're clever business owners they've taken courses they know where to go for like information on how to use Pinterest or how to be using Facebook ads the problem is not the information the problem we have is taking action and doing those small repetitive steps and building that consistency and knowing what to do when what actually is going to make a difference and what's a waste of time so I'm building a program I'm calling 15 Minute Magic. The premise being that A, you can do anything for 15 minutes, even if it's not your favorite thing. And B, actually, all of these little tiny steps only need 15 minutes of your time. So every day they're going to get a prompt with a 15 minute task. It could be fill in a worksheet or listen to an audio download, but quite often it'll be go to Reddit and do this thing, go on Facebook and do this thing, go and find a journalist and send this email so that we're all taking the same steps forward and that you never go to bed and feel like you've had a zero day where you've not worked on some area of that list. I have the biggest smile on my face. When Sarah (laughs) texted me and told me this like a while ago, I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. It's kind of, I always make products that are what I needed a few years ago. I'm always making for that version of myself. And I see it in so many of the people I speak to that they're just overwhelmed. You're like listening to all the podcasts and you've got all the information, but you're not really sure what should be at the top of your to-do list. And actually you're kind of firefighting in your business. Mm -hmm. So there's never going to be an afternoon for Pinterest. Like that's a luxury that we just can't find. But maybe there's 15 minutes for Pinterest. Yeah, I can't wait for you to change the world with this. Okay, so get on my mailing list, meandola.co.uk. End of sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Next question, Next question. Somebody has launched a product that's very similar to my biggest seller. How do I stay relevant and compete? Again, is that the most helpful question to ask yourself? Mm. Because who cares? I mean, I know that's so reductive, so please forgive me because I know, like, the truth is that the market is influenced by what happens in the market. Sure. But here's the thing. So what? So what that they launch something that's similar to your biggest seller? It's either going to do one of two things. It's either going to make no difference apart from with your mindset or it is going to affect, because I have no idea what industry you're in. If you sell Hoovers and you've got the best selling <laughs> Hoover and this is knocking you out the market, it's it's going to just, it could disrupt something. That is just an opportunity for you to get in the arena of your business and figure that out. Because how do you stay relevant? You keep doing what you do, not in response to this person, but in response to what you're passionate about and what you know your customers need. What do you think? I completely agree. It's very tempting, like if, especially if you've had your corner of the market to yourself for a while and then someone comes in and makes something very similar whether it's deliberately or not sometimes you might I know we hear from a lot of people who have a direct competitor launch something that's too close too close to home listen to our copycats episode yes we'll put the link in the show notes (laughs) but as we've said before like you can't build a business in response to what they're doing and every time you change something you could be like well I'll take 20 pounds off the price so I'm undercutting them 
they'll just change something too. So I always go back to how am I different? How is my business different? How is my offer different? What can I bring that nobody else except Mm -hmm. me can bring to the table? How can I add extra value? How can I add extra delight? How can I make sure that I am the best choice for my customers, the legitimate best choice, Mm. not the best choice on paper, Mm. not the best price. I don't want you to choose me based on price. I want you to choose me because you read what I've got to say and you're like, yes, that one, that's the one I need. And if you can go back into that, it makes it all about you and your customers again. It stops it being reactive and responsive. And it also means that you're improving all of the time. You're making your business better and stronger in response to competition instead of weakening and losing profit and taking things away because your focus is on somebody else. Cliché quote of the episode, let it make you better, not bitter. Beautiful. Let's make a Pinterest graphic. <laughs> <laughs> but just let it, we can't help. There's always going to be competition. There's always going to be people coming in, creating awesome things that scare the shit out of us because we want to feel safe and stable in our business. But you do have one thing over anyone who comes up after, you you have the time that they don't have yeah so don't underestimate the brand relationships that you've built the testimonials the knowledge the experience but just stay focused on what you do because there's nothing for you to learn from this person other than just you know oh how is the market responding to their stuff but apart from that there is nothing for you to learn that your audience and your business is not already here to teach you yeah I would advocate looking away as much as possible yeah mute them like who cares like it's not your business it's literally not your business (laughs) another cliche and one I never believed until fairly recently is like competition is healthy Mm. I was like do not give me that Mm. bullshit I just want to be safe and comfortable Mm -hmm. the problem is when you're safe and comfortable there's nothing pushing you to improve and innovate and and think and try and we need that we need that as humans as well as as business owners and as we've already said in this episode like when you stop evolving and you stand still you kind of lose traction, you lose relevance. So somebody else launching something can be uncomfortable, but it can also be an amazing catalyst to make cool stuff happen. If we just created things and ran our business and there was nothing else happening around us, well, that's not an industry. Do you know what I mean? Like this isn't going to be the first or the last time that someone comes in and like disrupts your status quo a little Mm. bit. And it's just the way, but it's a good sign because the more people create things, the more we, the audience grows as well. The consumer base grows. And I think competition, it can make you stronger and it can make you better because it reminds you that you can't just coast. Yes. You have to keep going deeper and deeper into what your magic is and what you're here to do. And I think it's just, I always say to my clients, are you making a decision based on fear or instinct? And fear tells us, oh my God, they're going to steal all my custom and I need to do this, do this and this. What does your business, the business instinct that got you to where you are now. And by the way, it got you to a place where well, what you've created is now something other people want to create. Let that instinct guide you next because that's the only voice that really knows what you need to do. Amen. Let me find the next question. <laughs> this is one I think I've come to you with before, Jen. What was the naming process for your businesses and projects? The struggle is real. <laughs> does everyone listen to this know that my blog was called Jenny Purr? I think I've told this story because my name's Jen and I like cats. And then there's there's also a very successful, talented sex toy designer. I don't know if she's talented. I haven't personally invested in her designs. <laughs> but she, there's a sex toy designer called Jenny Purr. So sometimes she'd get tagged as me. And was I'd that part of your as... process of choosing the name? No. But, okay. <laughs> you made it sound like it was. Here's the thing I say to my clients when they're stuck on the naming question is imagine yourself being introduced on a podcast or on a stage or something something five years from now is it that name that you're playing around with do you know what I mean but what if it's not 
then you've got some instinct there telling you that's here's the thing you do you can launch a business with a name and change it i did it i was jenny per for a few years great name guys <laughs> but i think with naming a, it's a leap of faith right like with this podcast we literally went with letters from a hopeful creative because we were so bu- t- annoyed at talking to each other about we what had to call lists the show and text messages and then for the first month i couldn't even remember what we <laughs> called it i call it like the, the acronym like i'm like letters two letters from because for me this is how it works for me i either know it like that yeah 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 and i've got it or else i'm gonna have to compromise i am ex i, I usually start any project with the name I'm an, I, the name is my entry name point. Name and branding, that's my entry point. If I have an idea about the name, I kind of get disconnected from the whole project. <laughs> yeah. So I understand the importance of naming. and it's so, But like you said, it's either, it's a hell yes, or it's a compromise. And once you kind of acknowledge that, maybe that's universal, I don't know. But if that's the way you work, then it, you kind of just go with it. You're like, okay, here's the thesaurus. Here's the words I know I want to kind of capture the feeling of what else is there how can I make something of it like if I'm really honest hashtag authentic I named my podcast that as kind of an in-joke but now it's grown too big and no one gets now it's my book name as well like it's stuck with me for life someone left an Amazon review going I found the name a bit cringy (laughs) I was like I need to not reply and explain the backstory of the name (laughs) but you just gotta go with it like it's not held me back for some people it resonates it kind of talks about what I'm about and it makes me laugh so and if you're a personal brand who all else fails there's no name better than your own name. Yeah, future-proof. You can be anything you want to under your own name. And if you don't like your own name, you can pick another one. Yeah, I would say don't let the naming decision stop you from doing it. I agree. Figure it out. I agree. It's, it is a tricky one, especially as like domain names disappear and every hashtag in the world is taken. But start with what you want people to feel. Mm-hmm. Start, like you said, with what, what feels right, like feels expansive and like the space for you to do all the things you want to do with it. And say it out loud. Like, literally, if you've got all of the names down, literally imagine going, hey, this is so-and-so name. Just yeah. And you, honestly, saying it out loud, because you'll have a name that you think is great, and you say it out loud, and you're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's kind of like naming a child. <laughs> and some people will hate it, just like with naming a child. So don't tell anyone your name until you're ready to launch, because people will go, oh, Orla, no, I knew an Orla at school, I didn't like. <laughs> like, it's not their business. Just find one you can cope with. You, can, you only have to live with it, you don't have to love it, I guess. Yeah. But hopefully you find one you love, because that's always more fun. So Elizabeth says, how do you deal with rejection? How do you deal with getting the no's? I guess it depends how attached you were to the answer. Because, like, there's times when I put myself out there for things and I genuinely don't care. And there's times when it would sting yes or no and I so I think there's a there's a spectrum here of how to because if it's like one where it didn't really matter that much to you a chocolate bar usually fixes it in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) I know that this comes from actually because it's Elizabeth Dokia whose podcast I was on um the good life unraveled and we spoke about this just after we stopped record she said that she'd seen a tweet of mine where I said you have to be getting lots of no's like if you're not pitching to the point where you're frequently getting no's you're not pitching enough and she said it really resonated with her, but then the nose crusher. Mm. Or maybe she didn't say crusher, I've added that. But, you know, that feeling of, like, when it, it is really... Which is so normal and human. Absolutely, and it can throw you off path. And then you're like, well, is this a helpful thing for me to be doing in my business? And she was like, how come you don't feel that? And I had to kind of think, and I was like, I think it's because when it comes to business, I very rarely take no as a final answer. So I need to caveat that, like, 
This isn't like a me. You've got balls, like metaphorical, but I'm <laughs> metaphorical business I've al- balls. I've always thought this about you. And that's not me, like, hopefully, it's not me crossing people's boundaries. It's not me, like, going beyond the point of if someone's not consented, I'm not pushing beyond <laughs> that. It is more like I take no as a not right now, mm-hmm. or is a I've not had enough information to convince me of yes. You see no as an opportunity, not as a statement of your worth. I do. And and it it's not something I ever chose to adopt. It's just how my brain works. But so a really good example is John Ronson, who is a writer and journalist I interviewed on my podcast. The first time I messaged him was on Instagram. He read the message, never replied. Ghosted. Like, devastating. And I'd crafted it so, but you know, I wrote it in my best cheerful pitch voice, nothing. And I that was kind of a no. And I was like, I spent a day being like, man, that would have been so good. And then the next time an opportunity came up, which was a Twitter thread where we'd both been at it and I knew he'd be seeing the tweets brought it up again and I was like well I want John Ronson to come on my podcast what do you say John and he saw it and this time he said yes and he actually had no memory of ever reading the DM because he's a busy guy right so a no reply is definitely not a no never take a no response as a no take that as a too busy the email got lost they meant to reply and never did always follow up if you don't get an answer and if you get an outright no I look on it and go okay well what can I change so that the next time I approach you, it's a yes? Like, what do you need to see? So if it's a podcast guest, and I think they're like a stretch, they're too high profile, and I don't hear back or I get a no, I'm like, okay, how can I Mm. improve the optics of my podcast so that the next time I email you, the stuff I can include that's going to make it a yes? It's all mindset there, right? It's like an expansive mindset. Not You don't, I think a lot of us go into a situation ex- waiting to be rejected for it to validate a feeling we have about our own worth. Oh, maybe. It's all about not seeing it as a rejection, I think. And just seeing it as an opportunity to put yourself out there and create opportunities for yourself. And whatever happens, happens. It's not a statement on your worth. It's, it's literally just a statement of fact because either this person was not available, you weren't the right fit for the project, that's all it's saying. It's not saying anything else. Like, we make it personal. It helps me to remember all the times I said no or not replied to somebody and how it's never, ever, ever been personal. It's always about yourself. Yeah, it's always like, well, I'm on holiday that week, but I don't want to tell them I'm on holiday or like I'm just overwhelmed or the yeah. inbox, my inbox is just crazy. And remembering that helps you see that actually someone taking the time to say no to you is it's kind of really thoughtful. Like they've managed to get back to you. Yeah. And that is an opening you've got conversation started with them so Austin Cleon he said no to me three times but he always says I'm too busy right now and I say okay I'll email you again in six months and then I set a reminder and in six months I send him a little email saying just wondering if you're available for podcast recording you know what just came to mind for me like it has to be worth fighting for the yes as well I think just fighting for a yes for the sake of it is a waste of human energy like sounds to me like you fight for a yes because you only go after things that are actually important that's really true yeah I'm very strategic with my time like back to that 15 minute magic thing I'm not wasting my time on tasks that aren't going to move the needle in my business so kind of with the outreach thing as well like I'm only going to be doing this you're only getting an email from me if I've already done all the research and know that we're a good fit yeah so it's being intentional with it and also yeah just is it worth fighting for the yes? And also just letting it go. Breathing, like you get an email that's a no, it's like, okay, cool, back back, back to my chocolate bar, back to my day. I always think about my friend Helen Stevens, who's an illustrator, and she told me that early in her career, this was kind of pre-internet days, she got a load of postcards printed with her work on them really cheaply because she was just out of university. And she found a load of addresses for all the different illustrators and publishers for children's books. 
and sent out these postcards with her details on the back. And most of them she never heard anything back from. Possibly all of them she didn't hear anything back from. But then like three years later, someone phoned her up and said, oh, we've had your postcard on our office wall all this time. We've always kept you in mind and we were just waiting for the right project to come along. A no right now or a no reply right now doesn't mean no in future. Mm -hmm. And in that way that we know that people need so many points of contact with somebody before they'll trust them like a company to buy from you I think it's kind of the same in building the trust of a relationship to to do some sort of collaborative work so maybe the first time it's no but if they hear from you and they've seen your work elsewhere and your name stuck in their head next time it might be yes just don't give up yeah and and keep asking because receiving the no's gets easier as well as sending the questions it all becomes a muscle that you work there's that thing around the internet that like the hundred rejection letters project have you seen that yeah like and people count them up as like celebration like because every no is inching you closer to it yeah it really is think of jk rowling she got no didn't she okay the last one how do you let go of the old you and move to another direction the one that feels truly good ain't that the question of life yeah it's bigger than business isn't it i think well you let go it's like a grieving process in some ways because you're letting go of one version of your life that you thought was what you wanted and you step into a new skin and also you have to be okay with everyone else catching up a little bit yeah I think there's few few things sadder in the world than when you see someone who you can see they got stuck in one part of their Mm. life and never let themselves move on and like you might see somebody who their style has stayed the way they dressed when they were a lot younger or their interiors are like you know stayed really in the 90s and usually it's because that was a time when they were really happy and they Mm. felt like everything was going their way and it's really human to try and cling to the identity we had when things were right but this goes right back to what we said at the beginning that everything is always changing and you have to let yourself evolve so it's kind of trusting that the newer versions of you are going to be even better that there really is something even better out there waiting for you which can be hard if you've had losses or trauma or if you know if your current situation just doesn't live up to your your past it's really hard to find that faith but there is always new stuff waiting for you and you can find new versions of happiness and there's something so beautiful about finding a home in your life which it sounds like this person is doing and I think there's um there's just something so beautiful in like living in a skin that is actually the skin you want not the skin you think you should have and I just think there's a let yourself I think this is the whole point of life it's like becoming truer and truer to ourselves and so like you're living right now even if it feels uncomfortable even if it feels like low I think it's lonely to do this personal kind of work it really is especially because you can't necessarily bring everyone with you yeah and so just be proud of yourself because you are you are in the arena of your own life right now and you're showing up for yourself and you are going deeper and deeper into your own truth and I just think that's amazing I sort of see it as like rather than it evolving into different versions it's like you just keep shedding another layer of skin until you boil yourself down to just who you really are at the core and we start with all these layers and and every time you let one go and you move into the new version of yourself it's a more true version of yourself enjoy the journey because it's just I've so many people live with all the layers on top of them and it's a weight that drags them down and disconnects them from what's true and so shedding those layers is very brave and let people go who want to hold you to your past yeah or maybe like let them go and when they're ready they'll come join you on this path again yeah because sometimes you modeling it freaks them out at first but it's then a permission slip for them to go on the journey themselves so true so freaking true 
That is the end of our questions that we chose. Thank you to everybody who submitted one. We will probably do another of these quick fire at some point. So check out our Instagrams. We stick it on our stories as a way to collect the questions. We're also always open to your letters. So if you want to write us a longer form question, you can head to lettersfromahopefulcreative.com. And there's a menu option that says submit a letter and you can write to us there. It can be anonymous or you can stick your name on whatever feels good to you. And we are back with brand new episodes every other Monday. We can't wait to keep sharing with you. It's so fun to be back in front of our microphones. And yeah, just thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us on our break. And yeah, we're really glad to be back. You can join us at lettersfromahopefulcreative.com and on social media. So on Instagram, I'm at me and Orla. And you'll find me at Jen Carrington underscore. We're going to be sharing new episodes. So if you've liked what you've heard so far, hit subscribe in your podcast app and be sure to leave us a review because it will help other people find the show. Yeah, and we can't wait to connect with you soon.